Hello and welcome to For Your Reconsideration, the podcast where we re-examine best picture races and give ourselves the authority to determine if the Academy got it right. I am Devin. And I'm Kyle. And in this bonus episode, we are still talking about 1952. So this season, we're changing things up a little bit. And instead of giving you some supplemental films tagged on to an already very long episode, we're going to do these bonus episodes where we talk about some other notable films from the Academy Awards ceremony that we previously discussed. Yes? Yeah, that's true. It's exciting. Except for like those years where there's already like 10. Screw that. Right. If, when there's already 10, we're probably not going to do that. I'm done. Unless no, there's some really notable like films. It's basically every movie that came out that year was nominated <laughs> for an Oscar. They used to put out like a lot of movies here. They would like crank like 70 movies out in a month. Dang. I don't. I made that number up. But it's something like that. Do you know what I mean? Where it like might literally be a new movie every week. Yeah, they produced a lot of movies because they had they literally go to theaters see it that weekend or that week or be out. Well, no, they'd be in theaters for like ever. People didn't have TVs. Yeah, but they didn't also have like multiplexes. So that's true. I don't know. They made a lot of movies. It was literally like a like a what's the thing that Ford created? An assembly line type (laughs) Model T. (laughs) It was like they had it down to like an assembly line type way to like create movies because like right. they just would have people working around right. the no, clock no, no, i'm yeah i'm just wondering as like a viewer like was it a new movie every week at your or like i know for a fact here in rockford like there was a theater for every major studio oh that's yeah the studios owned their own theaters exactly so like but again did they have a different movie every week? like it obviously probably depended on what they were putting out right yeah i'm sure like the b movies and stuff yeah right and you i'm know, sure and, those were and like also i'm too. sure it's like they may have only had one or two screens but also like like how the music box operates stay in Chicago, they would show, they'd maybe like rotate screenings. Mm-hmm. It would be, you know, this movie at two o'clock, but then this movie at four, but then that same movie from two at mm-hmm. six, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Something like that. I'm just curious, you know? Yeah. I just feel like we should know this. Now we just sound like we don't know what we're talking about at the top of this Is podcast. Is there an episode <laughs> that doesn't seem like we don't know what we're talking about? Because I'd like to listen to it. All right. I want to see what I sound like all professional and stuff. <laughs> Well, it's going to be the rest of this podcast. Oh, okay. Starting now. Starting now. Throw on my NPR voice. We're experts on every subject from this point forward. Like asterisk, because probably not. Okay. So the first movie that we're going to talk about today um, did actually win at the 1952 Academy Awards. We're talking about Rashomon. It won... So back in 1952, there was not yet a category for best foreign language film, but because Rashomon was people in America loved it so much, they gave it an honorary Academy Award. And a lot of people credit it with kind of getting buzz about starting that category within the Oscars. And I think in 1956 is when they officially added it. That's interesting. Why do you think it did so well? You know, I don't know because, um, I guess it didn't do that well in Japan, but when it came over to America, everybody loved it. It's funny because it feels very much like a procedural, which obviously Americans are in love with. That's true. <laughs> like, But I mean, like, have they always been? I guess there was even procedural TV back then. Oh, yeah, for sure. I don't know. It's interesting. I, yeah, I, I wonder why this movie in particular, like, caught mm-hmm. on, like, wildfire. Yeah, because it really did. And it did well. It, like, was in some festival. The Venice Film Festival, I believe, is all it did well in. And is when it kind of because this movie actually so it was awarded in 1952, but that's because it wasn't released in America until 1951. But it was actually originally debuted in 1950. 
mm-hmm. in Japan and other countries, but it didn't come to America until 1951 and then won the award in 1952. Yeah. I need to do some more research. I want to know why that movie did so well. Um, and my, and I didn't have any reasons why. <laughs> no, in, in, your, in all your research? In all my research, no. What did your research tell you? All right. Well, first of all, let me give you a synopsis. Oh, I should say, so Rashomon, um, U.S. distribution was done by RKO and it was directed by Akira Kurosawa. Synopsis. A heinous crime and its aftermath are recalled from differing points of view. Yeah. Yep. That is what right that's about. Mm-hmm. So here's some facts for you. It was released in Japan on August 24th, 1950, um, and it was released theatrically in the United States by RKO with English subtitles on December 26th, 1951, which I actually think is cool that they did it with subtitles and they didn't just dub it back in 1951. That sure. seems like something they would have done. Sure. Um, these are all things I've kind of already alluded to, but most Japanese critics did not like the film. When it received positive responses in the West, Japanese critics were baffled. Some decided that it was only admired there because it was, quote, exotic. Others thought that it succeeded because it was more Western than most Japanese films. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. So maybe Kurosawa was more uh, inspired by Western movies. And so it had more of what Americans would respond to. That could be. I don't know. I don't know a lot about know. Kurosawa. So it won an Academy Honorary. It also just like to be like going back, like it doesn't feel too foreign, right? No. Like, yeah, it's a foreign movie and it stars foreign actors and whatnot. But like it's it's not, you know, we're not jumping into how Japanese culture works. or No, like, it's you know, just you know about I mean? human nature. Yeah, it's a straightforward story. Yeah. Which probably makes it more accessible, obviously. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, like I said, it won an Academy Honorary Award in 1952 for being, quote, the most outstanding foreign language film released in the United States during 1951. The following year, it was eligible for consideration in other Academy Award categories and was nominated for Best Art Direction for Black and White Film. So, I don't know why it took another year for it to be eligible for other categories. But you know, the Academy is always behind. I feel like they're just making it up as they go. Right. Uh, so some filming things, even during high noon, the parts of the forest that the crew needed to shoot in were still too dark rather than use a regular foil reflector, which did not bounce enough light. Kurosawa and cinematographer Kazuo Miyagawa opted to use a full length mirror borrowed from the costume department. The crew bounced light from the mirror through the leaves and trees to soften it and make it look more like natural sunlight. The cinematographer later called it the most successful lighting effect he had ever done. When asked about the meaning of the film, Kurosawa said that Rashomon is a reflection of life and life does not always have clear meanings. Wow. That sounds like a cop out. <laughs> so, Go Kurosawa. <laughs> so he's like, I'm not explaining this to you. You yeah. figure it out. <laughs> yeah. It's interpretation. Yeah. Oh my God. Like, I listen to like, you know, NPR and they always have like sound opinions or whatever mm-hmm. in the studio, whatever. And like I feel like every artist like what is this song like where did it come from and they they always start with like well I think it's an like it's about like a it's about like like loving somebody but them not loving you back but I feel like it's really interpretive like well it's like okay yeah we understand well Kyle yes you went to film school Mm-mm. so please explain to our listeners why Rashomon is important I, uh, <laughs> I didn't fall asleep this time. That's good. I will admit, in my freshman year of film school, they showed this movie, and I, I straight up fell asleep. I do want to point out, however, that they showed it at 8 o'clock in the morning. That's, That's fair. That's a lot to do at 8 o'clock in the morning, being a young 18-year-old boy who probably went to bed at 
two in the morning. So, <laughs> um, yeah. but yeah, no, uh, I mean, what's his importance? I don't know. I mean, I've seen better Kurosawa works. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. I was really what banking on, on you to explain its importance. I don't know. I don't know. What, what did your film teacher is. say? They shot directly at the sun. I mean, it was again, it was eight o'clock in the morning. I fell asleep. Probably wasn't caring because I didn't know what they were referencing. <laughs> oh yeah yeah one my uh new zealand film teacher said something about i was trying to i was about to do an accent but then i checked myself because i don't exactly remember what that sounds like it's probably fair was everybody from the hobbit (laughs) you had to do like flight of the concords yeah i know like brit 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 so he's like oh (laughs) shot at the sun yeah it's the first movie they they point the camera oh stop that's bad bad. all right (laughs) It's something like they said they pointed like directly at the sun through the trees. Yeah. It's like, would well, you see a, sh- you do actually see a lot, but like, mm-hmm. I don't care that it was th- like, what? Well, I do think it's cool that they shot on location because I think a lot of movies at this time, like weren't shooting on location. Um, sure. And so you do get a lot more natural light. And even if they used mirrors and stuff, you're still getting I mean, yeah. natural it's a, it's light. It's a gorgeous movie. Um, I really feel that apparently I think what it's real significance is is exactly what you've been mentioning for like the last 10 minutes is that like it broke through and like brought Japanese cinema to, to America. Yeah. Um, especially like a time after, like right after world war two. That's true. So, um, I think that's most, like, I mean, like Akira Kurosawa is like next to Ozu is like considered, you know, one of the best, obviously Japanese filmmakers, if not filmmakers of all time. So mm-hmm. it's, it was just his breakthrough for us in a big way, I think. But otherwise, I don't know. I I don't particularly understand its importance. I I like its structure. It was honestly probably very inventive for the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and and honestly, if anything, I wonder if it inspired just like the idea of flashbacks or replaying series of events. Oh, I think in, it's definitely in did. other pieces throughout, like yeah. starting from then on. I, you know what I mean? Like it probably just did something new that people latched onto and then stole from. Mm-hmm. which could be its influence. But yeah, I don't know. Well, what are your feelings about Hard it? Hard to pinpoint the movie in general. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Like, I didn't love it. I don't have any strong feelings either way. I thought it, I thought it was, like, beautiful shot. I love uh, Mr. Mifun, who plays uh, the bandit. Yeah, he he's is, good. He is excellent. He's, like, the samurai Japanese actor. I mean, he wasn't a samurai in this, but I've okay. seen him in a lot of other things. Uh just fantastic actor in general wow my alarm is going off how unprofessional is that oh this is gonna be my reminder to pay my student loan because film school is awesome okay (laughs) um which i paid already okay uh but yeah i thought the cast was cool um the story i I actually like loved that it you know it, it introduced it in a weird way where these guys just witnessed a trial and then they're recounting what they heard at the trial for this other uh, stranger for the stranger, I guess. And so like, we're just told it in this weird series of events. And it's all about like, it's all about people's perception and memory. And then it's at the end of the day, it's like, is this obviously word for word what they heard? Or is this just their interpretation of what they heard? It really yeah. kind of plays around with like about, you know, people's stories or, or recollections in general or what the truth is. Mm hmm. Uh, I in think a really it, fun, interesting way. 
I think too, like while you're talking about that, and I don't know if this is accurate or not, but I feel like it's one of the first instances where you get the idea of an unreliable narrator. Right, right. Because all of them are unreliable narrators. Yeah, and that's what's great. Is like, yeah, we don't know the balanced truth. And that may be obviously one of the earliest uh, mm-hmm. um, films of that nature. Yeah. Like, yeah, so, uh, yeah, use of it. Um, yeah, so you don't really know where the balance is. And it's, again, I think it's it's an excellent story that deals with some, some heavy stuff, but in yeah. like a not so... You know, in a way you had to kind of walk around it back then. Well, and I think it's interesting, too, because like, you know, in our last episode, when we were talking about Streetcar Named Desire, which was nominated and is an American film. But that also deals with rape, which yeah. Rashomon deals with. But I feel like that, you know, they had a lot of problems with the Hollywood code of depicting that for Streetcar. And so they did it in a much more like vague kind of way. And this one isn't like expl- like they don't show anything but they're much more explicit in stating what happened yeah i wonder how that you know how those codes qualified for movies made outside the u.s i feel because like, like yeah. what, what i could see this is like rashomon didn't play in rockford illinois right rashomon played in probably new york city mm-hmm. maybe los angeles mm-hmm. and then maybe some certain film centers if there were around the country at that time but uh you know, I mean, those audiences were a different breed. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, this wasn't playing like middle America. Yeah, they were living and breathing cinema. Mm-hmm. Like, it probably got write-ups in all the New York paper. You know what I mean? Like, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it had to feel refreshing at the time just to see, obviously, two movies of this year would kind of deal with some content that's, like, very heavy. Yeah. And I I think, too, you know, a movie that was, came, like, made in 1949, came out in 1950 dealing with rape could go wrong very quickly you know what i mean like to today's views but i actually think that this doesn't this holds up pretty well yeah i think like it does it's not like overly misogynistic it's not i honestly feel like the female character in this movie gets gets her fair share of strong moments right i don't think it's ever played yeah to be anything like just misogynistic or anything you're right like and like the only and the only person's memory where it like could be argued it wasn't rape is like the guy that raped her everyone else it's pretty much right rape yeah like they use the word attack a lot more obviously right. but right. they're pretty clear on what happened right. and then yeah they could just be the subtitles the english subtitles right? that's true that's true <laughs> but yeah i definitely think it's uh what I'm, I mean, I for me, if a movie inspires conversation, it's a good movie. And I think that this movie inspires a lot of conversation. Discuss like who, you know, you can try to pinpoint who's telling the truth, who's not telling the truth. But I think it's it opens a much broader conversation about the nature of people's memory, of people's um, interpretations of things that have happened. You know what I mean? I just think that it it was ahead of its time in a way because I think those are conversations we're having now about how eyewitness testimony isn't very reliable about how people's memories are not reliable, how people mm-hmm. and you know, different have different interpretations. They can be in the same room and experience, have a completely different experience. Right. And I think, so I feel like it was very ahead of its time in exploring those themes. And I think it explores it better than contemporary works who've tried to explore the same right. thing. I think it also like explores, uh, uh why certain people lie for certain reasons yeah because like in all these stories look you can look at them as like all oh, there's 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 elements that are different in every single one so someone's lying right mm-hmm. and it's like why are these particular char- characters lying about this particular thing right 
like so the psychology of just lying is really at the front of this and it's 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 fascinating to see it unroll mm-hmm. i agree anything else no that's really all i have to say about let's it. move on okay well let me tell you some other things real quick Crap. okay <laughs> uh so rotten tomatoes i can't talk i would say tomatoes do you hear that no okay Rotten Tomatoes audience score of 93% and a critic score of 98%. Obviously, as far as its legacy goes, it wasn't named to any AFI list because it's not an American film. Okay. But it did win the Golden Lion Award at the 1951 Venice Film Festival. On Sight and Sound's list, most recent list of the 250 top films of all time, it's ranked at number 24. And on the 2002 director's poll by Sight and Sound, it ranked at number nine. Wow, okay. And in the U.S., box office, it made $96,568. Damn. Which is really good. Is that calculated for inflation, or is that what it made back then? That might be what it has made in total, so with re-releases as okay. well. But cool. I don't think that's just a 1951. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But, yeah, so that is Rashomon. Now let's move into some movies that could have been nominated but we're not. Okay. First up, The African Queen, directed by John Huston and released by produced by United Artists or at least distributed by United Artists. Okay. Uh, synopsis in Africa during World War 1, a gin-swilling riverboat captain is persuaded by a straight-laced missionary to use his boat to attack an enemy warship. It was adapted from the 1935 novel of the same name by C.S. Forrester. And much of the film was shot on location in Uganda and the Congo and Africa. The cast and crew endured sickness and Spartan living conditions during their time on location. In one scene, Hepburn was playing an organ but had a bucket nearby because she was often sick between takes. (laughs) Bogart later bragged that he and Houston were the only ones to escape illness because they did not drink any water, instead fortifying themselves with a large supply of whiskey. Bogart later said, quote, all I ate was baked beans, canned asparagus, and scotch whiskey. Whenever a fly bit Houston or me, it dropped dead. End quote. <laughs> um, that's really the only facts that I have about it. Wow. I mean, it's the same kind of stuff like they, you know, shooting in Africa was terrible. Everybody hated it. John Houston was like, they were going to shoot somewhere nicer. And then Houston was like, no, this won't work. And he like went off on his own and like came back a week later. He's like, I found the perfect spot. And he like took everybody there and they were like, what is this? <laughs> like, that, we what don't, an awesome guy. We don't want to be here. That guy is amazing. Uh, famously, Lauren Bacall went with them and she kind of like took care of everybody. She cooked for everybody, the crew and the cast at night. And well, they couldn't pay anybody else to do that? I mean, they had Lauren Bacall there. Okay. So she did it. Okay. And I guess at one point, one of the crew members, they had appendicitis and uh, she was the only person who had brought and, um antibiotics she's the only person in yeah she was brought the antibiotics only- to africa yes okay so she gave them to him while they rushed him to the hospital to have emergency oh. surgery level-headed no wonder bogey liked her so much. i mean yeah so she was saving lives out in africa <laughs> now how old was like bacall at this time she Still was younger young. than the rest of them right? oh yeah, yeah because she i think this is like right around when her and bogey got married and she was like 20 or something when they got married how she old was bogey old. He was like in his 40s. There's a big age difference. He was moving them. around really well in this movie, though, I noticed. Yeah. Yeah. It could have been the gin, though, apparently. Or scotch <laughs> or whatever. Scotch, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> could have been. Really loosening those joints. 
He was in good shape, you know? Yeah, he was. It was good to see him. Mm-hmm. Also, I never like noticed how big his teeth were. They were so big in this movie. Were they fake? Were that I don't know. His teeth. They were big. Yeah. You, just, like, you know, you, you don't see Bogey too much in color. So That's I feel true. Like it's weird a, to see him in color. It's like this. For me, it's like this and We're No Angels. And then <laughs> Classic We're No yeah. Angels. <laughs> hey, Peter Usinov, though. Yeah, Peter Usinov. Oh, my God. Love him. Okay. <laughs> um, no, yeah. So, cool facts. Seems yeah. like a fun old, fun old time. They shot half of it in a studio in London as well. I mean, you could tell. Yeah, you could certainly tell where the real Africa ended and the <laughs> studio began. <laughs> <laughs> it's mostly boat stuff yeah anytime obviously. they were like close but they did they did actually go down a river on a boat and they filmed some of the boat stuff yeah well there was like a big problem because i guess katherine hepburn like demanded that she have a dressing room so they like concocted this dressing room that would be dragged along behind the boat and it kept like getting stuck on things so she was like fine i don't need a dressing room that's amazing <laughs> i loved it in the credits i noticed when it started it was like costumes for mrs hepburn oh yeah she had her own costume. Maybe, yeah like she in the contract she definitely had her own costume person yeah that's awesome though whatever i love old hollywood all right anyway i do too so like, what do you think of a- the african queen well i had seen it before but i hadn't seen it in a very oh, okay. long time and i like it and i'll tell you well one you got humphrey bogart and katherine hepburn so it can't be that bad do you know what i mean it's like essentially a movie with just the two of them for like 90 percent of it and they are titans of acting okay they that, are that's a strong no they're titans Name of hollywood two... i wouldn't say acting okay one but... of them is who katherine hepburn maybe she's the same in like every movie but doesn't make her not good so was humphrey bogart okay they were both playing their types and it was good but here's what I really like about it, especially after having watched so many movies from this era, from earlier, from even all the way up into like the 70s. There's like this was a love story where the two people actually got to know each other and actually like had experiences that would lead to forming a human connection and then formed a human connection. Right. It wasn't just like. You know, a little too soon for my liking, but okay. But like, you think about a place in the sun where they exchange four words with each other, and then they're like, "Oh my uh, god, I love you. We're gonna be together forever." I never think about a place in the sun, so <laughs> I'm telling you to think about it right now. <laughs> in that movie, they exchange like he sees her from afar and is like, "I'm in love with her," and then like murder someone. Yeah. Oh no, I know. Like that is the. But I feel like so many movies are like that. Think about a love story where one they like hated each other. They were like incredibly mean to one another that's how you and i were what what (laughs) what were we like like we were like that we hated each other at first i never hated you when did you hate me oh what (laughs) i thought that was our thing what are you talking about i was like mean to you you're still mean to me well you don't say that on the podcast (laughs) i'm like mean to you in a nice way though I'm trying to make a point about movies and you're like interrupting me to say crazy things about our relationship. I'm sorry. I, I no, I just, I liked the love story and love story. That's insanity. I'm going to force you to rewatch it to show you how wrong didn't you are. Didn't we talk about that on the, we talked about the podcast. We talked about how, how it didn't make any sense. Like you need to listen to our own oh, podcast. Maybe I've seen back to Rashomon, you know what I mean? Like I'm just remembering it. I think a little differently. But I'm just saying, like, so many of these movies, so many of these movies that feature love stories, these people meet and two days later are like 
changing their entire lives. Yeah. And it's like, you don't know a single thing about this person. Right. Whereas in this, like they get to know each other and two, they're under like extreme circumstances that are going to like life and death circumstances are going to bond people together. Yeah. And like, yeah, when they got together, were they a little annoying? Sure. But I think most people when they fall in love are pretty annoying. No, I know. I do want to go like go back because like I feel though that in that time period and like especially earlier, like maybe like, people didn't like meet each other like they do now. Like a lot of it was sometimes super quick judgments. Okay, but you know we're I mean? talking about this from a 2018 perspective, and I'm just saying it's refreshing to see a love story that actually looks like love. Yeah. No, I understand. I do understand that. And I do think people still got to know each other. Yeah. To I mean, a certain extent. I mean, A Place in the Sun is like a... Well, that's a It's like a wild... Uh, that's insanity. Yeah, but, yes. Yeah. Um, no, no. Actually, I did appreciate this. I just like really enjoyed... Because they're obviously opposite in characteristics. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed them playing off that. So when that stopped, mm-hmm. the movie kind of became less enjoyable for me. When they were when like, just like, dear, dear. Yeah. I liked it better when it was like, you scumbag. And he's like, hey, miss. Sure. I like to kick shit. It's like in Cheers when Sam and Diane had all that like wonderful sexual tension. But right. then once they got together, it was just like, yeah, what are we so supposed the show's to just do like, now? Okay, well, now what do I care about? You know? Sure. No, for sure. Like, it, And so that happened like a little too early for me. So I was just like, oh, you know. I did love though, like after they they allude to the fact that they have slept together. And mm-hmm. then she's like, uh, what is your first name? Yeah. <laughs> right. By the way, like not much alluding. Like, yeah. You know. Which I oh that was one of the other things that I read, I guess I just didn't write any of these down. But yeah. they had to change the ending from the book so that they got married to work around the censors. They had to be married by the end because they had slept together. Oh, interesting, interesting. No, like you know, like typical, like they go to a room at that night, fades to black, then it's the next day. No, this it like fades midday, and then it's still fades midday. back in, and then, or fades out to midday, and it fades back in, and Humphrey Bogart is sleeping on the floor. And she's like making tea and then they're avoiding eye contact or he's trying to avoid eye contact. With her. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then she's suddenly calling him dear. Yeah. It was, oh, it and was he's like, wonderful. Uh, sweetheart. <laughs> it was wonderful. I liked it. It was good. I think it's a fun movie. I read that uh, John Houston told her to like act like Eleanor Roosevelt. Yeah. And smile like all proper, put on like this fake, you know, proper smile. Mm-hmm. And she was like, that's the best direction I've ever gotten. <laughs> I read that as well. Yeah. I know you did. I'm just surprised you left all like the good facts of your <laughs> your list of facts. <laughs> like the story about John Hughes and Angelica's birth is amazing. That was too long. I wasn't going to. Okay. He found out Angelica was born while they were filming this movie. End of story. That's not the, but the <laughs> you know, I'm going to tell it really quick. Okay. Because the whole point was, is like, she, you know, his wife was very pregnant when he went to go film. And then like, basically it had to like the story of the movie where it takes them forever to get their mail. Mm-hmm. It's such a task had to happen to deliver the news that, you know, John Houston had a girl had, had Angelica. So like all this stuff had to happen, like late calls and like running, Someone was, like running on down, foot. Yeah, yeah. Running on foot, like all this stuff. And finally they get to set and they hand John Houston this, this note and he reads it and he just puts it back in his pocket. And they're like, well, what was that? And they're like, she had a girl. It's named Angelica. And so like all of this, <laughs> yeah, it's named as Angelica, but all this like work had to go in for just him to be like, Hmm. Oh my god! Cool. Yeah. Like, 
I mean, change everything. But uh, it's not a great story, honestly, about John Huston. <laughs> I mean, don't the, make him sound like a great father. I mean, you know, I'm picturing Angelica telling it, and so yeah, it's like it, this very it, the dry, source is charming from Angelica's <laughs> yeah. bio- autobiography. Yeah. But uh, okay, you're right. That wasn't. But you know what? You know, the best some, some of the best parts of podcasts is just talking about old Hollywood stuff. So sure, we're just like you must remember this now. Yeah, and again, if you want like a, a better version. <laughs> yeah of old hollywood stories they know <laughs> if anyone is listening to this podcast they enjoy you must remember this oh yeah i think katrina listens oh my god i would die she is my goal yeah yeah i think they are should be one i i want to be couple best friends with them okay but i feel like they're like our couple goals so you're like karina light though you need to go like full karina well you're like is ryan karina johnson like katrina was it karina or katrina Trina. Karina. Karina. It's Karina. Long word. Ooh, you're not even a fan. I am a fan. Sorry, Karina. Sorry, Care. Car. <laughs> Tell Ryan what's up. Not like Ryan Johnson at all. I wish I was I wish I was anything like Ryan Johnson. Yeah. What? Are you, why are you you're making this weird? <laughs> I'm not. Yeah, you just look crazy right now. No one can see me. I know I can. <laughs> it's weird for me. Uh <laughs> Say something else about the African Queen. Uh, it reminded me a lot of um, another movie we had to watch for this podcast. Uh, what was it called? You know, the other African King one. Solomon's Mind. King Solomon's Mind. Except this was like a lot better. Than no, King it Solomon's was. Mind. I agree. It was a lot better, but it was like cool seeing all like the real like African photography. Yeah. Like um, I really enjoyed seeing some of that stuff. I wish I wish like they would have been around it a little bit more. Um, Black people. Or Africans? What? What are you talking about? Like the actors. Oh. It was just all like that was, you could tell studio stuff is like. Oh, yeah. I wish there would have been like some interactions. I don't know. I, well, that, I think that's I, unsafe. I know. That's probably, yeah. That's probably crazy. Like I get it. <laughs> but. Yeah. Uh, I thought the beginning scene where there were like uh, Catherine Hepburn's character and her brother, they're like missionaries or whatever. And so they're trying to like lead a church service for right. Africans. And I felt like that was a little. Ugh, oh, know? really? Well, it's like depicting them as like these savages who don't understand christianity and they're just like oh, they wow. don't know the words i didn't and take it like that along. i was like oh cool they featured like actual lo- local people mm-hmm. but that's how i took it as but no I, I totally see your point i feel like it's like playing into that though a little bit yeah and i feel like too like the problem with this and like king solomon's minds like playing into the whole idea that like africa is this like you know savage place where people don't have you know where it's like I don't know what the word I'm thinking of is like backdated or like outdated or whatever because like both those movies take place a lot earlier than when they were released like this takes place during World War One, and King Solomon's Mind was like the 1800 I don't know like the early 1900s but right. like so you know what I mean so it's like ain't it's like old times in Africa but then we're seeing it in the 50s and then I think people like it just plays in this whole idea that that's what it's still like in Africa. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that that's still kind of like an image people have of Africa because of movies like this. Got you. I feel you. But other than that, they mostly avoided being too racist by just like not having a lot of black people in the movie. That's true. And they didn't really, they honestly, they didn't treat them like savages. Like, um, maybe you're kind of alluding to, no, like, they've they done just, a like, lot worse in movies. Oh yeah, they've certainly done a lot yeah, worse. Yeah, they were like a community of people, and you actually feel bad that their village gets burned down by fucking Nazis. So sure, do you know what I mean? Like, well, they weren't Nazis. This was World War One. Just oh yeah, what I saw. I'm Germans. Sorry. You're right. It was Germans. <laughs> I forgot what year because I, I was thinking, you know, because it's yeah. era. I was thinking it was like World War Two. No, yeah, it was definitely World War One. 
Um, but yeah, Germans are still bad people in this. You know, it was well, they, yeah, they were, it certainly was, it was fitting for the time. And also, like, I just want to say also the like the first time we see Humphrey Bogart, he's just like chilling on his boat with like Africans fanning him with leaves. Oh, that's true. So just like no, yeah, yeah they weren't great. That's fair. That's fair. But otherwise, I mean, essentially, I about that, actually, yeah. yeah, essentially, the movie is just Hepburn and Bogie. Yeah. So for. Yeah, like and you said earlier, ninety percent, if not yeah. more. It's got to be more technically, but yeah, it's a it's Hepburn and Bogart having a good old time. Yeah, or a bad old time. They're like almost dying, but then they're boning, so it's happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By the way, can we talk about? She gets this like twenty minutes into the movie, she gets this crazy idea almost immediately to just like turn these gas canisters into torpedoes and bomb a German ship. So that then the like, Americans would be able to it's get... It's quick. Like, I know you read about the synopsis. I didn't. Yeah. But, like, yeah, that movie has decided what is happening in the first 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then it's just the journey to get there. Mm-hmm. And it's a long journey to get there. It is. Like, that's the craziest part, right? Like, yeah, things happen or whatever. But we know the, you know... Mm-hmm. We know inevitably, like, what they're... I don't know. Mm-hmm. And it essentially works out they on their way to sink it they, or they way to blow it up they sink and then they get captured and almost hung and then the boat just hanged hanged and then the boat just happens to hit where the sunk boat is right <laughs> luckily they got married otherwise they would have been hanged sooner right because they would have had to have and been punished for their premarital sex. by the way premature ending it was so weird like, what the fuck they're just like paddling away yeah because well, they're probably gonna die you you noted how far away that shore was that's true they were well no 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 no, no. the ship got closer to the shore okay, that's true. when it hit the boat but i just want to point out too that like when that boat blew up they showed so many of those germans also just like in the water yeah so there's a good chance all those germans are also gonna end up on that shore right <laughs> so hopefully there's like some british people around yeah like they were making for the east shore like they had some other kind of plan they didn't have a plan. i think that's where the british army was gonna be or something oh know. yeah i don't know okay also uh humphrey bogart's character was supposed to have a thick cockney accent but bogart was like yeah don't do that so they made him canadian <laughs> why can't he be american because they had to be british because they were fighting for england oh yeah, 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 yeah. i don't think america was involved in world war one no at the point in the story in 1914 i don't think so yeah okay fair enough and he certainly sounded american because he sounded like humphrey bogart right he didn't say a boot he did not say no there was no nothing he He was never sorry (laughs) so i mean back then men were never sorry so he actually like this was fairly progressive as far as women's rights goes because she was like honestly the one in charge on that boat yeah the whole thing was her plan and he just like agreed with it. He multiple times was like, "Yeah, I wouldn't have survived that if it wasn't for you." That's just when he was like in love. When they were fighting, the real gloves came off. No, before they were in love, when they went through the rapids, he was like, "I wouldn't be able to do that without you." And that was before they boned. He was trying to bone. Whatever. Did you say bone first, or did I say bone, and then you said bone? Now I'm just worried. Who brought bone into this conversation? <laughs> I don't know. It might have been me. It sounds like something I would say. Why? <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, they made love passionately. Well, sure. Anyway. Anyway, I'm just saying fair like it was not misogynistic in any way, I don't think. Oof, I don't know. You think so? 
I think it stood out in a couple of places, yeah. Well, and kept calling her old girl. And, and just referring to, like, what a man's job is and what a woman's job is. Like, that was... But she... He was all like, no, you stay up on this boat. I'm going to go fix the propeller. And she was like, okay. And then she was just, like, down there fixing the propeller with him. And he was like, all right. Fair. I'll take I mean, your yeah, yeah, okay. She did I what see, she wanted I see what to you're do. Saying. That's and just what you get when you it. cast Catherine Hepburn. I mean, her. yeah. Like, she's not going to take any shit. She's not going to play a character that would take shit. That's for sure. Right. Because she's progressive. Right. And she can, wore pants. And can choose her roles. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, I enjoyed the movie. Did you? I felt like you didn't I, like it. No, I did. Again, okay. like, it was hit or miss, but when it was, like, when it was good, it was, like, really good to me. Yeah. And then it was just, like, all right, this is a little played out or whatever. Mm-hmm. It was, like, whatever. But, like, the good parts really stand out, and I, overall, I did enjoy it. Good. Yeah. I'm glad. You want to hear what other people think of it? I don't know if, like, his acting performance beats. Can we talk about that a little bit? Because sure. He so, an, he won the Oscar for Best Actor. Yeah. Over Marlon Brando for Street Car Desire. And yeah. you felt it was some kind of, like, honorary thing. Yes. This is the only Oscar that Humphrey Bogart ever won. Sure. So I do think, I think the Oscars have a long history of giving out makeup Oscars. Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, you know, you're a really good actor and you've been in so many good things, but we've never given you an award and you're getting on in your career. So we'll give you one. Whereas Marlon Brando, that was like his first major film role. Humphrey Humphrey Bogart clearly should have won for Casablanca. That's just like. I don't I don't really know who he was up against in that year. I guess we'll talk about it in a coming season. But like it's crazy that he didn't. So in the grand scheme of things, looking at it from an overview of the future, I am happy that Humphrey Bogart has an Oscar. And Marlon Brando ended up with two Oscars. I mean, I don't know if it counts as two if you don't accept one of them. But in the grand scheme of things, I feel like it all worked out. No, I know. But again, it's just like. No, obviously this I'd performance was not as good year. as Marlon Brando's. You know. Yeah. But it's fine. But don't you feel like Humphrey Bogart deserved an Oscar in his lifetime? Yeah, sure. And this was a fun movie to give it to him. I'm sure this was like a great like theater going experience for a lot of people. You know what I mean? This yeah, was probably for sure. a great. Like, did, how did this rank? Do you remember in like the it was, box office for that year? Yeah, it was the seventh highest grossing film. Of yeah. The so year. it was obviously a very successful picture. Yes. A lot of people saw it. I mean, then that makes sense, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm with it, I guess, but still. No, I agree. If you're just looking year by year, I don't think this performance beats Brando's, but is what it is, you know. Mm-hmm. Can't have everything. Was Hepburn nominated? Yes. She lost to Vivian Lee. Right. But she, that's, she has the most Oscars of any actress. So. Oh again. really? Yeah, she has three or four Oscars. Wow. How many does Streep have? Two. Streep only has two Oscars. Yeah, she's been nominated like 21 times or something, but right, like she but only, only has two. Twice. So really, she's lost an Oscar more than any other person. Right, yeah. She's, the, <laughs> she's really like the biggest loser. She's, yeah, she's basically the Susan Lucci of the Oscars. Wow, what a bad actress. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, so um, African Queen has a Rotten Tomato audience score of 86% and a critic score of 100%. As far as its legacy... <clears throat> The American Film Institute on there. Did you clear your throat? Because there's a lot to read. Okay. <laughs> on the American Film Institute's original list of the 100 greatest films, it ranked at number 17. And 10 years later on the anniversary list, it was number 65. <laughs> so a lot of other good movies got put out between those 10 years, I guess. Um, 
On their list of the 100 greatest passions, a.k.a. love stories, it ranked at number 14. On their list of the 100 cheers, which I think is like inspirational, lift you up, make you feel good movies, it ranked at number 48. And on their lists of screen legends, we got number one and number one. Hepburn and Bogart. Oh, really? Yep. She was number one for women. He was number one for men. Cool. And then it was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry in 1994. Um, for the box office, it made $10.7 million, And like I said, it was the seventh highest grossing film of 1951. And the 10.7, I think, is um, includes re-releases as well. Yeah. All right, time to talk about our last film of this episode. This episode is already too long. Well, yeah. Let's just skip it. No. I'm just kidding. It's funny that we're doing this. We thought this would be quick because we're only talking about three movies and not having all the introduction stuff, blah, blah, blah. I think this is still going to be shorter. And we're already at like 40 minutes. That's still shorter than a regular episode. I mean, yeah. But we're also like missing out on two movies and a bunch of other information. Well, look at you talking right now and taking up more time. That is fair. I'm offering (laughs) color commentary and I think it's appreciated. Well, why don't you save your opinions for Strangers on a Train, <laughs> directed by Alfred Hitchcock, produced by Warner Bros. Synopsis. A psychotic socialite confronts a pro tennis star with a theory on how two complete pro. strangers can get away with murder, a theory that he plans to implement. Pro? Yeah. I the whole thing. He was amateur. He was on the pro circuit. Oh, Okay. I thought they're like you're gonna go pro, and he's like, I don't know, I want to get into politics. Well, you know how like if you work at a country club, they call you like a golf pro or a tennis pro. Yeah, I think he was a pro in that that? way. Yeah, I thought you had to be an actual former pro to be at a country club. I think you have to compete in professional professional tournaments. tournaments. Okay. I don't know. This is just an IMDb synopsis. I could also just be wrong. Okay. You only get your your stuff from the most reliable sources, like INDB and Wikipedia. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Why, why are you mad? So it's based on the 1950 <laughs> novel of the same name by Patricia Highsmith. Patricia Highsmith, interesting enough, has also written some other novels that I've made into popular movies. Such as? The Talented Mr. Ripley. And? The Price of Salt, which was released as Carol most recently. Wow. Yes. And? Um, those are the most famous ones. Well, she did pretty good. She did. There yeah. were some other ones, too, that got made the movies. Um, Hitchcock bought the rights anonymously for $7,500 because, because it was Highsmith's first novel. She was reportedly quite annoyed to find out who had bought the rights for so little. <laughs> <laughs> Dude. <laughs> He's just full of dick moves. He's got like he's a bag of dick asshole. moves that he's ready to pull one out at any time. I guess he used to do that a lot. He'd like bid on things anonymously so people wouldn't like jack up the price because yeah. they knew he could pay it. You know what? And I don't blame him. Like I don't. Uh, the screenplay. He's all, well, I do want to say though, he's also probably a guy that had a bunch of different projects like at the ready. Yeah. But that didn't. That just didn't get made. Like he I probably mean, he bought a lot more content so than he movies. actually made though. Yeah. So. That's true. Well, um, so he bought the rights, and then the screenplay was adapted by Raymond Chandler. Oh, wow. Seriously? Who, yeah, and him and Hitchcock hated each other. Yeah. They did not get along. But I feel like that's a common theme Why in Hitchcock's that? life. Because um, Alfred Hitchcock was an asshole. <laughs> and Raymond Chandler apparently wasn't. <laughs> he probably was, too. Well, and his they just name didn't. was on the crap. I must have missed that. I missed that's it, really too. I didn't see it until... 
obviously a famous mystery writer for those of you who don't know. Or detective, mm-hmm. I should say detective, not a writer. But I think this was his, he was starting out in his career, so I don't think he was like Raymond Chandler yet. Okay. You know? That's really interesting though, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as was his usual... <laughs> all these facts are about how Alfred Hitchcock was a dick. <laughs> okay. As was his usual practice, Alfred Hitchcock shot each scene so that there was only one way to edit it, which always conformed to his initial visual concept and pre-production storyboards. Love this guy. So like back in the studio system, they would just like hand off the prints to like yeah. their staff of editors, but he would do it so it was like could only be edited right. the way he wanted. And that, how is that not genius? It that's, is genius. It's a great loophole. And I feel like that's probably why he is considered one of the first auteurs because he was controlling right. the output of his films more than other directors. I think that's great. Mm-hmm. To achieve the shot of Bruno murdering Miriam reflected in her glasses, an enormous distorting lens was constructed, and the two actors were then reflected in it at a 90-degree angle. Wow. Yeah. Um, Upon its release in 1951, Strangers on a Train received mixed reviews. Most recent criticism is generally, though not universally, more positive. David Keyes, writing at Cinemaphile.org in 2002, saw the film as a seminal entry in its genre. Quote, aside from its very evident approach as a crowd-pleasing popcorn flick, the movie is one of the original shells for identity-inspired mystery thrillers in which natural human behavior is the driving force behind the true macabre rather than supernatural elements. Even classic endeavors like Fargo and A Simple Plan seem directly fueled by this concept. End quote. So I thought that was a good place to, to jump off from as far as its lasting impact. I do feel like it's a film that has impacted a lot of um, current work and, you know, just like other classic work as well. And I do think it's interesting to have this, um, this idea that he was talking about where before horror movies were mostly about like monsters and like scary, creepy, supernatural things that could come kill you. Whereas I feel like Alfred Hitchcock, his, what he's starting here and what he moved into through his more, his most um, popular successful period of his career is more about how scary human beings can be when they act like human beings. Right. And I think that's good. I honestly, um, I'd never seen strangers on a train before and I loved it. It honestly might be one of my favorite Hitchcock films. Wow. I really, really loved it good and i also really love like so he's, he's looking at human nature but it's in a way too and i feel like this fits in so well with like where our culture is at now and i guess just where our culture has always been and that people are obsessed with murder like people have always been obsessed with murder right and i feel like this was hitchcock's way of like shining a light on that where making you feel like everybody's thought about killing someone exactly no right right and i think i think that that probably resonated with some of you like, Oh my God. Yeah. Like, wow, they're talking about the way I feel like, yeah. I've had a murder plan for years. Right. And I even hate my wife. <laughs> right. And to even have like the younger sister character be like, so excited by like the idea of yeah, murders and things. She, yeah. She's one of these fanatics that are probably picking up these pulp books. And, right. You know, magazines or whatever. And I like it. Cause I know it's, it's I just, do think crime TV was like a big thing in this era. Yeah. Like trials and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously well, I, mean, more I just scripted, think it's always been a thing people have been interested in, you right. know? No, right, 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 right. And so I just, I loved the way, I feel like, I feel like that's what, when Hitchcock is at his best, that's what he's doing. He's giving you something that could just be seen as like a pulpy, you know, murder movie. But it's actually like looking at something a lot deeper in the human condition that is what sure. scares us the most. And that's why he's successful in what he does. 
And also, like, his set pieces that he has in movies are just... They're on a different level for 1951, you know? he He's just, like, he grounds spectacle and realism so well. Mm-hmm. Like, that's really, I think, what, what makes Hitchcock stand out, what made him stand out a lot of, you know, the works that launched him. Mm-hmm. Is he could do this spectacle, but in a very realistic way that legitimately gave the audience a thrill. Mm-hmm. Like, right, like, Psycho came around at a time where it's like, okay, now how do I thrill people? Right. Right? Like, I have to be more inventive. Mm-hmm. Because I've I've done all my tricks. I've done the television hours, you know, and the what, and the yeah. you know, it's like I don't know, like that had had to even get more dark ten years after this, you know, when you're nine or whatever. But yeah, no, I absolutely I absolutely agree. Like this is this is a, this is a shining achievement on like kind of a lower scale for Hitchcock that just mm-hmm. works really well. And I do think like looking through his filmography you know that he was coming off in this year he had had a lot of movies that hadn't done very well and this was like his first hit in a while but i really think this also like kicks off an era where he was producing his best work you know right because in the 50s and then the early 60s that's when we get the movies that are most when people think of hitchcock those are the movies that they think of like right this north by northwest vertigo and then getting in the 60s with like psycho and everything like that but rear window i'm really excited to watch that one actually yeah that's sure. my favorite hitchcock film no well, you haven't seen them all yet so. that's true i have not seen them all yet and i had never seen this one and now i think this one my favorite so and i think too like he he inserts art where art doesn't need to be and that's what makes these movies so special what do you too. mean by that i mean like you could just have you know when he strangles miriam you could just have him strangling miriam and that would be fine and get your point across and would still be scary but instead he does this complicated shot that took all this extra work to produce of glasses and them upside down strangling her right you know like that didn't need to be but it is and it's beautiful and it's for sure so because i mean his whole thing was again i think the spectacle comes back to like how can i have people remember my images right like when in a in an era like his thought process is probably in an era where you know everybody's watching tv or going to the movies all the time Mm -hmm. like how can i make my stuff stand out because i mean like he's also like one of the first people to be like a director saying like alfred hitchcock presents or like yeah over hitchcock film you know he really was branding himself in a big way he was. right yeah which i mean 1951 i don't know how many people were watching i think most people still didn't have tv at this point okay but i think you're right and i think obviously and i think his stuff obviously translated well to tv though too right which helped but i just think that he and the the carousel scene at the end is very well done like that is honestly scary but also really cool looking <laughs> right i mean i think is yeah it's obviously like a, a a big a big deal i mean it, it it can look hokey in parts i won't say it's sure like perfect he's him at well okay but like it's also 1951 so i mean like things are gonna look a little i know okay. but the stuff they did on the on the ship or in the on the ship in uh what was it the 39 set no that wasn't it oh foreign correspondent foreign correspondent that was nuts. Like the guy that's knows true. what he's doing. He really tries things. He goes for him. You know what I mean? And, and that's, I think what, it also, that's what you can appreciate. It also helps that he's completely unconcerned for the safety of his actors. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. I think being an asshole, uh, you know, sometimes it doesn't prevent you from being a great artist, you know? Sure. sure. Sometimes you can separate the two. I mean, I guess. Like Woody Allen or Roman Polanski. <laughs> no, the thing is, though, like I was thinking about this because I was... I was doing some research on Hitchcock for some other stuff with my job. But I, like, can I just say I was joking? I just yes. Okay. Because you just 
brushed right over that. I expected Sorry, like, I knew you I expected were like a little back and forth sarcasm, you know, but but then you I'm just used like to a, ignoring you, you like when you say pr- crazy things. No, I know. I know. But when we have an audience, I don't want them to be like, damn, did he just, okay, they're just going right past it. Okay. No, but I was, I was looking at some Hitchcock stuff for something else and reading about the way that he inspe- specifically treated Tippi Hedren. Like, if that was not, like, the whole Me Too movement, the whole Weinstein thing, like, he, Hitchcock would have gone down for this shit. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. the way that he treated his actresses is just... Well, yeah, and no one's here to either defend or condemn him now, right? I mean, plenty of people have condemned him. In so polite of ways, though. Do you know what I mean? Like, right now, they could, like, like literally take his career down. If well, it was if they today. were alive, Back yeah. then, it was, like, little pieces. These people still wanted to work. They weren't going to do shit like that. Right. Those well, women that's did not I, have a voice compared to now. That's what I'm saying, though. No, I know. I agree. And but I'm saying now, no one can do that now. Is what I'm saying because they're all well. Apparently, they were doing it up dead. until a few months ago when people started talking out about it. Though, do you know what I mean? About Hitchcock? No, like other directors abusing their actresses. Yes, I'm saying for Hitchcock specifically, no one can. It can't happen now. Is what I'm saying with Hitchcock. Because he's old and everyone's like dead or old. I mean, I think that we can That's still re-examine the way he treated people and maybe... But we don't have like a lot of first-hand accounts that weren't just trying to be nice and tiptoe around the subject back Well, then. what I'm saying is you're incorrect about that because there's plenty of first-hand accounts of people explaining the things that he did, specifically to Tippi Hedren. There's like full-on movies about it. Oh. He refused to call her by her name. He called her The Girl. Oh. Which is the name of a movie about that. So I'm just saying like there's plenty of information out there but about that, what But that he could did. take him down? Well, I'm not going to say it's going to take him down and people are going to like stop watching Hitchcock oh, movies. Sure, sure. I'm just saying that like it's I feel like it's something that needs to be addressed in a way because of the current environment that we're in that like we're joking about what an asshole he was, but like legitimately he was an asshole. Right. right. And yes, he created some masterpieces, but like we also need to say. So I I want to say like I miss I misheard you because like yeah, I'm I know there's accounts of him being a dick. But like there are probably accounts that could like take him down in a Harvey Weinstein-esque way. Yeah. Whereas like we don't have those accounts is what I'm trying sure. to say, but they likely exist. Like full on assault is what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Like stuff like that. Yes. As opposed to just like throwing live yeah, birds at so, a person's face. Right. And some of the stuff like you hear like the urban legend that he like locks someone in the studio, like in a mm-hmm. chair all night or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's actual validity to, that, validity to that or not, but like right. the fact that these myths exist show the type of person he is. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Like, but like, I've not heard like a, you know, he, he, uh, watched me, ma- you know, he made me master or he made me watch him masturbate or something like that. Sure. That's true. There's nothing like that about Hitchcock out, but there, pro- like there might exist. Something. Yeah. It wouldn't be surprising if something right. like that. Cause you would not say that to a paper back then. That's true. That's <laughs> you true. know what I mean? Like, that's all I'm saying is like content was censored as far as like what you'd say to still work. Well, and I think Very even the stuff about yeah. how abusive he was to some of his actresses didn't come out until probably like the 70s or so yeah. do you know what i mean right when people were talking right. about it but when they got all progressive in the 70s <laughs> <Yeah>. uh. <laughs> this seems like baby steps you know baby steps yeah we're doing a lot better these days the 70s honestly okay i feel like it was like one you know i'm not gonna get into it. it's not important it's not what we're talking about here <laughs> <laughs> okay they weren't very progressive is all i'm gonna say right but they were they weren't though they gave, they were like, oh, we gave you like this inch, then so we're going to take back five feet. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I see what you're saying. They yeah, were like, yeah, oh, yeah. you can work and you can wear pants. So what are you bitching about? Ooh. You know? But I mean. I feel okay, like that was hold, very hold much on the. Now. 
But in like retrospect, it it looks bad. It looks worse. But like at the time, they were still doing major things. Like I mean, civil rights like being key here. Like I didn't know everything wasn't perfect immediately. Because it's not perfect at all now. No, no. So. I, oh my god, though. That's please do not make me sound like that person. Well, That's I'm not just what saying, I'm saying. Like, like, things are still shit. But, I'm, no, I know. But I'm saying that like, people started getting voices and things were changing, like starting in the late 60s and 70s. Like, what I'm say, saying like, is, nothing happened. Is, what I'm saying is in the 60s, the 60s, especially the late 60s, were a time of cultural change and a lot of advancements were made. And then by the 70s, the attitude was more like, well, we gave you all this stuff, so... Now we're going to make weird jokes about, you know what I mean? Like, think about MASH, honestly. Compare okay, yeah, the yeah. movie MASH to the movies that we watched from the 40s right, right, right. that were very much about female empowerment and had a much stronger, better treated female characters. No, you're right. Than that movie. That's a bad comparison because that's like a fucking dumbass comedy paraded in. But like, that's just it. They're like, oh, it's a sexual revolution and we can make jokes about all this stuff uh, now. Okay. And you just have to like deal with it because you're, like, you're, you're equal to us, right? So if you can't take this joke, then you're not equal. Gotcha. Anyway. <laughs> so how do you really feel? <laughs> well, you know what? We'll find out more next week because we're watching more movies from the 70s. But maybe okay. they got better in 71. Maybe. Fingers crossed. I don't think so. Okay. Wait. I, you never asked me how I felt about Strange on Train. Oh, I'm sorry. How do you feel about Strange on Train? It was cool. Cool. I'm so glad I asked you about it. I mean, I feel like you said enough about it. Like, I had seen it before. I still enjoyed it. It's a, it's a f- you know, it's like, honestly, it's a fun Hollywood movie. I don't think it does anything special for the game or anything. But, uh. You know, it would be a good thriller if it came out today, even, you know. I mean, it's just such a great uh, premise for a yeah, story. It, it plays so people, well. Which I think has been borrowed in a lot of things. Uh, oh, absolutely. People killing other people. Oh, absolutely. But. Again, like, I, I don't think it does anything amazing. I don't think it's anything, like, super special. But, like, it's fun. And it's entertaining. Yeah. And it's thrilling, you know. Yeah. A I, big enjoy. The performance by... Uh, Oh, what was his name? We played Bruno. Is that Robert Taylor? I don't know. I'm sorry. I think it is. But um, he was fantastic. I thought he was really good. Yeah. I mean, I thought everyone was really good, honestly. Yeah. Everyone played their role really well mm-hmm. for what it was. Seriously. Yeah. Even Hitchcock's daughter. She was very good, actually. She was fantastic. I wonder how she feels about her dad. Now, there's a, there's probably a good book. I actually read some... Cause, you know, I told you that one story about him leaving her up at the top of the ferris wheel yeah well her version it wasn't that but she said that like she wasn't up there alone there were two other people with her and it was it was like a few minutes it wasn't so a long again time. a myth and like, what or, she, her or not myth but because her her quote was the most sadistic thing was he never gave me the hundred dollars yeah so okay she wasn't like traumatized by it but right but there's just so many stories of him fucking with people that's like, right he loved to fuck with people he did he did and well, you know what it got him? No Oscars. So Wow. That is crazy. Like not even an honorary one? He won an honorary one. And he was so pissed about it. He's so pissed that they only gave him an honorary one. Like right. he went up there and he goes, Thank you. And walks away. What a badass. I know. All right. That's Hitchcock for you. So that's Hitchcock. Uh so what other people thought about Strangers on a Train it has a Rotten Tomatoes audience score of ninety two percent and a critic score of ninety eight percent. On American Film Institute's list of the 100 greatest thrills is ranked at number 32. And um, IndieWire's list of the best Hitchcock films is ranked at number 6. Which, that's the highest I found it. That's why I included it. But I looked at a few lists of people that ranked Hitchcock films. And it was pretty much always in the top 10. So, 
And at the box office, it made $7 million and was the number nine movie of 1951. Right on. So, yeah. Alfred Hitchcock. Robbed again. I think the only thing it was nominated for was Best Cinematography Black and White. Okay. And it did not win. No. So, those are the movies that we watched for Supplemental. So, with those movies in mind, do you think... Well, I guess with only the two because Rashomon wouldn't have been included. Right, right, right. So between those two, do you think that they should have taken the place of any of the nominees and or won in place of the winner? You know, it's been so long. I don't even remember all the nominees. So the nominees were An American Paris, which won. Sunset, or oh my God, not Sunset Boulevard, Streetcar Named Desire. Yeah. <laughs> um, Place in the Sun, Quo Vadis, and why did you do this to me? <laughs> Decision Before Dawn. Oh, okay. Decision Before Dawn. Yes. I don't even remember what A Place in the Sun was about. That was the one with Elizabeth Taylor and Montgomery Clift. Love and Murder. Uh, Yeah, I think think African Queen could have easily replaced, like, Quivatis. And then, you know what? Honestly, if if it was my, you know, overall call, if I was the Academy, sole member, I would switch out A Place in the Sun with uh, Strangers on a Train. Just a better kind of murder mystery that's exactly what i've said if i had to pick one movie that was about young love and murder i would pick strangers on a train over a place right, in the sun right and i'm kind of okay with Quovadas being nominated just because it was such like an epic scale of a movie i will say african queen is a better movie right and i guess that had an epic scale too because they were like on location yeah and it just like it wasn't stupid okay do you think okay so american of paris one I do mean, you besides think- the idea of like creating torpedoes from scratch and blowing up the enemy ship i mean but. it's not more stupid than deborah kerr falling in love with that dude and quo Vadis when he was a giant dick to her fair enough time. you're right um so you think that's e- the example you should have used earlier yeah <laughs> i can't even think about that movie it's so upsetting oh no so i was gonna say so an american in paris one do you think either of these two no. movies were better than american paris no. okay and in our i don't either i agree with that mm-hmm. and then in our last episode, we both agreed that A Streetcar Named Desire should have won. Mm-hmm. Are either of these movies better than A Streetcar Named Desire? How does that make sense? Okay. How does your question make sense? <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair. Like, fair. I think today, like, I would choose A Streetcar Named Desire, but, like, am I, you know, just like I said before, I'm not mad that American Paris won. It made a lot of sense. For sure. No, I agree. And I'm, t- I'm we're talking is, about well, oh, sorry, movies, no. though. No, I know. But, like, how are you going to say, like... You the first question was like, would yeah. I replace the winner? You know, America with so it wouldn't work either way. I did it. I had to ask both <laughs> questions. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> so we're in agreement. We think they should have been nominated, but not one. Yeah, it's it's surprising they weren't nominated. Yeah. Maybe yeah. not. Like again, they might have thought like Hitchcock. His Hitch. You know what I'm trying to say. Hitchcock. They might have thought his shit was still like too pulpy. Like not. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know what I mean? He was way too genre for the Oscars. That was their main problem with him. And also, he was an asshole. And yeah, you know what? That shit gets around. (laughs) It spreads like. The Academy Awards are like 80% of popularity contests. Right. So if you're not popular. Especially in this era. I mean, it's a Humphrey Bogart kind of word. Exactly. Good guy. Deserved it. Yeah. Okay, so that's it. Um, If I didn't already mention before, next week we're going to be back. With a regular full-size episode talking about the 1972 Oscar ceremony. Um, 
Those will be the movies from 1971. And we'll be talking about them <laughs> next wow. week. Good to know. I keep like, I have a problem with my sentence structure when I'm talking where I like, I don't put a period in my, in my spoken sentence. I would prefer you put, I would prefer you cut the periods and, and, and the ellipses that you use for everything. Well, that's what I'm saying. It sounds like ellipses, on, but it's just because um, I haven't put a period in. I know, but I, I really, would, the sentence oh, is done. A giant run on sentence would be perfect for me. I appreciate that. I think listeners would too. That, that sounds mean, doesn't it? I didn't mean it mean at all. I'll cut this out. Bye. <laughs> no, come on. I was just talking to you, not the listeners. Oh, <laughs> give us a, uh, you know, give us a rating in iTunes. Yeah. It'd be awesome. As long as it's a good rating. As long as it's a good one, for sure. Mm-hmm. No bad ratings allowed. Please. That's ridiculous. You can also, if you want to talk to us, you can email us. We have an email address. What's our email address? FYRpod at gmail.com. Awesome. FY, it's what FYR pod is in for your reconsideration pod at gmail.com. Yep. All right. Drop us a line. Yeah. As long as you say nice things. Yeah. Tell us how wrong we are. Yeah. If you want to correct us on anything, uh, you can do that. And Just let us know what you think of Devin's sentence structure. Sure. Or how mean you think Kyle is. <laughs> so you were like just making this episode even longer. That's fine. We're wrapping it up. Okay. So we'll see you next week. All right. Bye. Bye.